Well, good evening, uh, Living Hope Community Church. Uh, we're so excited to have you again this evening. Wherever you're joining us, we are so excited to have you. Um, we give God praise and thanks for those of you who are taking time out of this beautiful weather uh, to be with us here this evening. I know it's a beautiful day and a lot of people are <clears throat> away vacationing or maybe enjoying the nice weather out there and that's all good. Um, I want to thank the Lord for each and every one of you that join us here this evening. Um, you know, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to just jump right into our sermon text this evening. We're going to be continuing in the book of Acts, chapter 4, reading from verse 5 all the way through verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Acts chapter, uh, five, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 5. And before we do that, um, let us look to the Lord in prayer this evening as we ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this beautiful day, for truly this is the day that you have made. Your word says, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're so thankful, Lord, for beautiful sunshine. Lord, for all the uh, wonderful things that you have provided for us and that those that which you are continuing to bless us with, Father. Lord, without you, we can do nothing, O oh God. Without you, none of, none of this is, is possible. And so we want to thank you this evening, God, that we have this opportunity again to look into your word, Father, to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us, Father. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. Father, I pray, God, by the power of your Spirit that you will speak to us. Lord, that you will minister to us, that you will mold us, and that you will fashion us. God, that you will prune the things that you don't want us want to be there in our lives. And you will help us, O oh God, as you continually take our hands and guide our feet and lead us in the path of righteousness for your namesake, God. Lord, I pray this evening, Lord, for everyone that is that are joining us, wherever they are, God, whether it's Guyana, Suriname, USA, across Canada, wherever it is, God. We just thank you and praise you for families. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in dear lives, oh God. And, and the way, God, that you have been using living hope to be a blessing to them and their family. I pray, Lord, that they will continue, Lord, to, to look to you, Father, as the author and the finisher of their faith. And I pray tonight, God, as your word go forth, God, that they once again, Lord, will, will hear from you. And God, be able to draw closer in their relationship with you. And so we give thanks to you, Lord. And we give you praise praise in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 4 verse 5, on the next day, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family and when they had set them, that is Peter and John, when they have set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is God's word, and we give God praise and thanks for the reading of his word. Now, I'm excited uh, to continue with our sermon series, The Name of Jesus. Um, and like I said over the past several weeks, that I never intended to, to really touch on, uh, to continue in the book of Acts. But I, I felt strongly the Lord has laid on my heart to continue. I will do so. Uh, I believe that the, the, uh, the Lord has a lot of things in store for us, especially in the book of Acts, that we can draw from the early uh, disciples and from the early church. So um, over the past several weeks, we have been journeying, brothers and sisters, with the disciples of Jesus Christ, starting from the day of Pentecost, after they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, which, we, which resulted in Peter's first sermon. Like Peter, Peter preached a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And then soon after, we followed Peter and John. And as they were going up to the beautiful gate and, and we saw the, the miracle that took place with the healing of the layman outside of the temple. And then immediately after, uh, after that, we followed Peter and John again into Solomon uh, Portico, proclaiming as they proclaimed the name of Jesus as the one who is responsible for the healing of the lame beggar. With renewed, with, with renewed boldness, we see that by the, by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John stood before the people, not only the people, but the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, by turning their attention away from themselves and pointing them to the resurrected Lord and the resurrected Christ. When we started, what we started to see in the book of Acts it, see, is what we started to see in the book of Acts is the growth of the church. We started to see the, the expansion of the church so rapidly. It was a movement that the religious um, rulers of the day were afraid of. The, beliefs, the, the believers were starting to face persecution and a rejection, like I said last week, both externally and then later, as we're going to see in the following chapters, which is 5 and 6. They are going to face persecution internally or opposition internally within the body of Christ. Uh, there are certain things that are going to rise up that will, that will challenge and, 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 and also challenge the church and the early lives of the believers. And as the church grew, persecution moved from the religious, which is the religious group that we're looking at in chapter 4, to Romans, to the Romans. And we're going to see this, the civil persecution that are going to come from the hands of the Romans. Um, the Romans persecution lasted over 120 years. Over, and it took about 12 Roman governors over those uh, 120 years in the span of 300 and uh, about 300 years. But 120 of those 300 years were persecution under the hands of the Roman governors. Until it, so the persecution started from the Roman governor Nero until uh, we, to the end where we see Constantine is going to bring a revival to the church and God is going to use Constantine to help lead the church forward. 
Now, Jesus warned his disciples, make, it, make, make note of this, that Jesus warned his disciples that they will suffer. You and I will suffer for the name of Jesus. And, that, and, and, and all of hell will break loose and will try to prevail against the church and it will try to prevail against the work of Jesus Christ. But we know that none of that will succeed. And we're, we, we've seen that in the early church. We're seeing that today in, in the day in which we live after 2,000 years. The church is still being persecuted. But the encouraging words that we have is that Jesus said that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what they try, persecution will come. Suffering will come. Rejection will come, but none of these things will bring the church on its uh, 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 um, will bring the church to a place where it's powerless. The church will all be always be powerful. The church will always see revival, and the church will continue to grow despite persecution and the suffering, despite whatever it is the enemy throw at us. Throw at us. The book of Acts will present us with several ways in which the enemy will try to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And I trust the Lord as we continue, we're going to be able to see some of those things in the next two chapters. Like I said, chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're going to see internally. And we're going to see how God is going to use these things to bring honor and glory to his name. No, uh, now, I said this earlier in my opening remarks that I felt strongly in my spirit to continue in the book of Acts as the Spirit of the, of the Lord, you know, lead us. And I don't know where he's going to take us and what are some of the things that he has in store. But I just felt strongly in my heart to stay in this book here because there is so much that we can learn from the early church, that we can learn from the apostles, from their experience. And today is, is another example of what God has in store for us. At the closing of my message last week, I asked every one of you that were watching and took time to watch this message over again, I asked you several questions concerning the relationship, your relationship with Christ. And it's something that we need to ponder, and I trust and hope that maybe you have taken some time over this past week to ponder over these questions as you watch the sermon again, as you listen to it on your way, whether you're traveling. I mean, I would also listen to it, and there are things within my own message that I will continue to remind myself and ponder over. And I felt strongly to ask these questions again to many of you that are watching. What are you willing to give up to bear the name of Jesus Christ? What is there in your life that you are willing to give up so that you can stand and bear the name of Jesus Christ? Or are you truly ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ? And, and those, are, those are questions that we need to ask ourselves. How much do people know that we are a truly a believer, that we are truly a child of God? How much do we truly testify of who Jesus Christ is? Are you willing to face rejection and persecution from friends, from families, from co-workers, wherever they are, for the name of Jesus? Are you willing to, to face opposition and and be put in jail like Peter and John and the many other apostles for the name of Jesus? Are you willing to die for the name of Jesus? Which, as you can see, all of them will die. All the apostles are going to give their life for Christ. Every one of them will be martyred. Every one of them, life were taken because they stand and represent that name, the name that is above every other name. You see, brothers and sisters, being a Christian, you will have to answer yes 
to all of these questions. Only when you are truly born again, only when you are truly a child of God, only then you can answer yes to these questions because you, you must be willing to surrender your life to, for Christ, no matter where you are. And, if you, and I always say to my, to my children that when they were younger, if they have friends or they are within companies, whether in school or outside of school, and those friends don't know that you are a Christian, something is wrong with your relationship with Christ. People must know that you are a child of God. People must know that you are a believer. Ever since I got saved, ever since I gave my life to Christ, I have never, ever stopped being ashamed. I've never been ashamed, sorry, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've never, never fail from testifying who Jesus Christ is. No matter where I go, in my work, in friends, and with company, they know that I'm, a, that I'm a believer. They know that I'm a child of God. They know that I, that I preach the gospel no matter where I go. I will tell people of, of who Jesus Christ is. And that's who we are. Our life is truly a reflection of, of the work of Christ in our lives. And as you, as you go about living your life among friends and families and in your neighborhood and in your community. People must know that you are a believer. They must know that you name the name of Christ and you stand firm in, those, in that. So last week we focused on the first four verses in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John are asked to stop teaching and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead which was contrary to the Sadducees' doctrine, to their teaching. It was challenging them. Later that evening, both Peter and John were thrown into prison until the next day to stand trial before the Sanhedrin. And we cover a number of things in that message last week. So this week, we are going to continue from verse 5, as you just heard me read, which is the next day Peter and John are now going to stand before the Sanhedrin council. Now, the Sanhedrin council consists of 71 members, including the high priest. And they have to stand before 71 men because of what? Because of the name of Jesus. The Sadducees were a minority group and needed the support of the Sanhedrin council. They could not have just tried the, 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 the apostles Peter and John. They could not have just tried them like that. So this week, as I said, we're going to continue on that. We're going to look at verse 5. So uh, verse 5 said that in the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together. And Peter lists, lists them, Luke lists them. The rulers, the elders, the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, which is where, which is where Peter and John were. Because they were in prison, now they're out. And they stood before these men, which is the whole Sanhedrin council, 71 members. And Annas, verse 6, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. These, these were men who were, who were appointed as high priest. So the Sanhedrin council composed of rulers, or better known as the high priest. And then you have the elders, which Luke gives us a counter, which are the teachers of the law. Now, this group of men were mostly Pharisees. So the Sanhedrin Council was basically the Senate and the Supreme Court, or better known as the Jewish Religious Council. And when I did the cross of Jesus Christ, I touched on this in the, in the crucifixion. 
So I'm just going to briefly touch on this tonight here, and then we're going to jump into the rest of my message. This religious body was not allowed to carry out capital punishment or death sentences. Such case must, has to be taken to the civil authority, which was the Romans, which is all that they did. When Jesus, they had three, six trials, three from the religious group, which is this group, and then three from the Romans. But this is not the case with Peter and John. Peter and John. They're going to be tried. They're going to be standing before the religious leaders and not the Romans. There was no reason for them to go before the Roman governors or the Roman court or the civil court. And verse 6, we are presented with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. Now, now there's a reason why the, the names of these, these people are mentioned. And if you remember in my sermon in, in the cross of Jesus Christ, Annas, Annas was the ruling high priest. He was not, sorry, he was not the ruling high priest because he was deposed by the Roman governor Valerus Grutus. Annas was only the high priest. Annas as the high priest lasted from AD 6 to AD 15. Now, his son-in-law Caiaphas, which is mentioned in this passage, was the ruling high priest. The one that was appointed by the Roman. And Caiaphas would rule for the next uh, 18 years. So he ruled from 18 to 36. Now, the reason why Annas is mentioned here, even though he was not the appointed high priest, some Jews still consider Annas as their high priest. For the Jews, a high priest service was for life. It was for life. And the Romans imposed on them a yearly appointment instead. So they were not going to have high priest for life. They were just going to have a yearly high priest and they were going to change them. Now what you see, the names that are mentioned here about the high priestly family, it means that Annas was succeeded by four of his sons and then now his son-in-law as high priest because they were appointed year after after one was after one to the next and he was succeeded by every one of his sons and that's why John is mentioned here that's why Alexander is mentioned here but you know uh, there's not much that is presented to us in 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 the book of acts concerning these men or in the gospel but we knew that they were they were high priests as part of the family because Luke also bear record of that now these are the same group of men who rallied the people to shout give us barabbas and crucify jesus this is the same group who rallied the people to say away with jesus give us barabbas we don't need a savior. We don't need this Jesus of Nazareth. Now what is ironic is two months later, they are there now, these same group of people, find themselves dealing with two of Jesus' disciples. Disciples who they consider as uneducated, uncommon, or unlearned fishermen. They were not the elite class of men. They were not the, the, the highly educated as they claim. These uneducated men faced the entire Jewish religious council. And like I said, consist of 71 members. And they brought them and presented them before them on that day. And, and, and Luke gives us the account in verse seven, verse 7, and he says, And when they had set them in the midst, that's in the midst of the, this body of, of rulers, who are now going to try them. And they inquired, these men inquired and said, By what power 
Or by what name did you do this? I mean, do what? Do the, perform the miracle on the on the on the layman? They were they they were not. They had no interest in the in the layman. They had no interest. All they wanted to know what was done, by what power or by what name. And 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 it's and 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 Peter will answer that question in verse ten. But what I like about this passage here, that the disciples were now not only were asked by what power or by what name, but they are going to. Luke is also going to give us what took place before Peter answered them. Because it's the same, same experience that, that, that we see on the day of Pentecost is now repeating itself. Not the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's, it's the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And verse 8 said, then Peter filled with the Spirit. This infilling of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that another experience like the day of Pentecost. It means that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that power to speak with boldness, without, without even, you know, without, without any hesitation. And the Bible, said, the Bible says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he said to them, and as he addressed them, now these are men that they consider uneducated, unlearned, men who can't speak, men who, who were afraid. But listen to Peter's word. Listen to Peter's response. Not only, not only when he spoke to the people and, and 5,000 gave their life. Not only when he spoke to the, the first group of people and 3,000 gave their life. The church was almost 15,000 people were now saved and, and given their life to Christ. But hear what Peter had to say. Hear what word it says. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Rulers of the people. Which are the religious group. And I don't believe that, that I'm saying it as good as Peter. Peter done it with respect and maybe he was much more bold than I am speaking here today. And he says, rulers of the people and elders. So he's calling them out. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? And hear what he, hear what he goes on to say in verse, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you, everyone who are here today, and to all the people of Israel, those who are listening, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now that is key for us to make note of there. When you read your Bible, these are things that you underline if you've never liked to underline your Bible. You underline these statements for Peter. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not Jesus and he stopped, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not any Jesus. This particular Jesus. Whom you crucified. The one who died on the cross. The one whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. By him. And Peter makes such a declaration. You crucified but God raised. Did you see that? You crucified God raised. You killed him. God brought him back to life. And he says, by this man is standing before you well. It is true, this Jesus. This Jesus is the stone, verse 11, that was rejected by you. And hear, 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 hear what Peter is throwing into their face. You, the builders, you men who were responsible to be the one for, for the kingdom of God, building the kingdom of God, you are rejecting the chief stone, the capstone, the cornerstone. You reject the one who comes 
Who the psalmist in Psalms 118 and verse 22, the psalmist spoke about it. Not only the psalmist, but this one passage also will continue in Matthew 21 and verse 42. And then in 1 Peter 2, 7. And then in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Paul will say, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And Peter threw it back right into the face. You rejected this builder. Peter said, there's a stone which you builders rejected. You of all people, you rejected the chief stone, the cornerstone. You rejected the, 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 the son of God. And I love the last verse, which is what Peter says in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. Look at the word salvation. What does it have to do with the man's healing? What is the message that Peter is, is, is trying to get across? There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name. He didn't mention the name Jesus. He said there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Now tonight I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about the meaning of the name Jesus. The meaning of the name Jesus. And you may be wondering why it took me so long after five sermons to now talk about the name of Jesus. There are two reasons. One is that I wanted to wait until we get to this particular passage, which is Acts chapter 4, uh, and especially verse 12. And two, I was hoping someone would ask me to speak on the meaning of the name Jesus. A lot of people take for granted that they, 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 they know the name. They know what is the meaning of the name Jesus. But when the, when the disciples use the name and use it so powerful, everyone in the early early 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, they knew who exactly the disciples were talking about. Because there were other Jesus mentioned in the Bible. There were other Jesus that were living in those days. It was a common name in the 1st century and the 2nd century. But what was so special about this name Jesus? That is what I want to talk to you about tonight. For us to truly understand why God chose the name Jesus for his incarnate son, we must look at it in two different angles. One, we must look at it historically. And two, we must look at it uh, etymologically. Which means that we're going to study the origin and development of the word. That's what it means. Or a particular development of words or, or particular words. So first, let us look at it historically. So Jesus was the Greek and, and if... Um, you can see on the screen there, I, I sort of put this together, and I'll help you to understand maybe some of these um, meaning of the name and, and the historical meaning of the name itself. Jesus was the Greek form of the word Joshua. In Greek, the word is pronounced as Isus. Now, I'm not, I'm not the greatest at, at Greek words or Hebrewic words, so if you know how to pronounce it better than I do, then you know, you can, the, the meaning is there. Um, the, 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 the spelling is there. And in Hebrew, Jeshua or Jehoshua, Jehoshua, sorry, which is translated Joshua in English, as you can see. Joshua parents name him. Now I want to say this, that Joshua parents name him 
Osea or Hosea, H-O-S-E-A or O-S-H-E-A. Now both of these, now in Numbers 13, what you will find is that Moses renamed Hosea to Joshua. And verse 16 of Numbers chapter 13 said, These were the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out, out of the land. And Moses, and Moses named Call Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now there's a reason why Moses changes Joshua's name to, uh, from Hosea to Joshua. Joshua is the oldest name containing Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. It is the covenant name of God. This name Yahweh was so sacred and so holy that the Jewish people refrained from pronouncing it. They never wanted to or tried to pronounce the name Yahweh. It was Joshua who succeeded Moses by fulfilling God's promise to Abraham in Joshua 21 and verse 43. And Joshua, um, we, we, we can read that. Joshua fulfilled that promise made to Abraham to possess the land of Canaan because Canaan was Israel's physical inheritance and the possession. Now, I'm going to read that ton tonight for you in Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus said the Lord to Israel and all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. He swore, God promised, God swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, which is the land of Canaan. And they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he sworn to their fathers. The Lord gave them rest. Not one, one, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. That means no one was able to come against them. For the Lord had given them, given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And here Joshua is declaring that every one of God's promise was fulfilled. And that was fulfilled in the lives of Moses and then in the lives of Joshua. And Joshua will declare, Joshua itself means salvation. As Joshua lead the children of Israel into the promised land, fulfilling God's promise, even so Jesus, who is our salvation, Jesus, who is our salvation. Now I want to pause and go back a little to what, what, what we just read in in. in, in in Joshua chapter 21. Because in, in that passage, not only did God fulfill his promise, Joshua said that God gave them rest. They, they entered a physical land and they, have, they got the rest that they were looking for. Peace. And all that they were looking for, God gave them. And God fulfilled every one of his promise. Now, Joshua is a type of Jesus in the New Testament. Because both Joshua and Jesus means the same. Salvation. So, so as Joshua lead the children of Israel into the promised land, fulfilling God's promise and God's rest for them in a physical land, even so, Jesus, who is our salvation, God promised to fulfill his promise to us as believers to give us an eternal inheritance to all those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, our inheritance is not of this world. It's not physical. 
but it's eternal. God will give every one of us as the Bible promised. God will fulfill his promise to us. An eternal rest and an eternal kingdom is awaiting for each and every one of us. And Jesus promised this earthly, Jesus promised this heavenly and inheritance. In Hebrew chapter 4 and verse 7 through 9, hear what it says. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, which is the land, the promised land, the eternal place that God prepared. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. And hear what he says today. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already coded. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, uh, basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that the rest that they received in the land of Canaan was not the rest God was talking about. That was physical. But there is an eternal rest that is coming to the believers through Jesus Christ. And hear what Joshua says. Hear, hear what the Hebrew writer of the Hebrews says. So then there remain a Sabbath rest, a rest unto the children of God for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested on his works as God did from his. And, just was a, and, and, and the writer of the Hebrew presents us with such a, a, a promise of God for every one of us. Through Jesus Christ, the same as what took place with Joshua and the children of Israel, even so, that is a type, that is a shadow of what to come for the believers in Christ. So the name Jesus means salvation. Both the Hebrew and the Greek means the same, both the English word. And then Peter will declare in 1 Peter chapter 1 of this inheritance that we have in Christ. He said, blessed be the God in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, that is God, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? Look how many things Peter is saying that God, in true Christ, according to his mercy, his great mercy, God's mercy, true Christ, he has caused us to be born again. It is through Christ that we are born. It is through Jesus that we are born again. To a living hope. A hope that is not dead but that is alive. A hope that is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Look at the last part of that verse. Verse 4. To an inheritance that you and I brothers and sisters will possess. That is not. That is That is imperishable. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now I speak on a message. I spoke on this in another message and you can listen to it online. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the promise we have as believers in Christ. That is the promise. So what I just present with, to you is, is from the Old Testament historically the name of Jesus from both from the Hebrew word to the Greek word means the same thing. It's the reason why Moses renamed Joshua because it was Joshua who is going to take with the people into the promised land as a type of Christ in the New 
Testament. Jesus Christ once and for all will take us there to the promise and fulfilling God's promise for us. Now that is the historical. Now the second part that we're going to look at is the etymologically, the one etymological. What does it mean? Basically, like I said earlier, the study of a word, its origin and a development of word or a particular word. Now we're going to look at the word Jesus tonight. Both Jesus and Joshua, like I said, me, uh, like, I, like I said, means salvation. Now the, the Hebrew word Yahweh means that both Joshua and Jesus means Yahweh, it means help. Or Yahweh is salvation. Jesus and Joshua comes, or both of these names are derived from the Hebrew root word, meaning the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Jehoshua is related to Yeshua, which means salvation. Now, these words may confuse you because unless you're seeing it on the screen and you're looking at the meaning, only then you may, may truly understand. But Jesus means that he is the Savior. That's what Jesus means, that he is the Savior. Just like how Joshua meant Savior for the Old Testament, for the children of Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus means that he is the Savior. That is the reason why when Peter declared the word salvation, he knew that he was only talking about Jesus Christ. That there is salvation in no other, only through Jesus Christ. And he was not talking about any other that was named Jesus. He was talking about a true Savior. So the name Jesus is the human name given by God, the Father. The name was not chosen by Mary and Joseph. Jesus, the name Jesus was not chosen by Mary and Joseph. They were commanded explicitly to name the child, the incarnate Son of God, this name. When we look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you turn with me there with your Bible, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is the virgin birth. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to dissolve, to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary your wife. Do not fear to take Mary your wife. Do not, sorry, do not take, fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then hear what the angel said. And she will bear a son, she, Mary, this message is to Joseph. Joseph, your wife-to-be will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, explicitly given by God to Mary and Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus. And listen to what, listen why the child was named Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? He will save this child, this name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Not any Jesus. This specific child will save his people from their sin. All this took place, 
all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which is in going back to Isaiah, uh, some of those prophecies. And then look verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph named the child Jesus based on the command that he received. So the human name given to the child was God's command, not Mary and Joseph or anyone else. Then in Luke Gospel, we are given a similar account in Luke chapter 1 and verse, verse 26. Hear what it says. In the sixth month, the angel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. That is why everywhere you see the disciples make mention of Jesus. They always says Jesus of Nazareth. They were talking about the Christ child. They were talking about the virgin child. They were talking about the incarnate son of God. They were not making any mistakes. No mistakes. Because there were so many people that were named Jesus in those days. And, but they were specific to who they were talking about. That is why when you read the gospel and you read the New Testament, you always see the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and I'll touch on that later on, and many other names that he was called to, 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 to differentiate him from every other Jesus. And then verse 27 says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Same account as in Matthew, Luke has given us, of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now here's Mary. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Same message given to Joseph. Here now Mary is getting the message. And you shall call his name Jesus. So not only Joseph was told to call the child Jesus. So there was going to be no mistake when it comes to the naming of the child. Joseph was not just going to sit down and say, Hey Mary, I don't like Joseph. I believe we should give him Barnabas. Or some other name. No, 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 no. This was specific. They were told to do this. And Mary, this is clear by God that you shall call the name of this child Jesus. And he will be what? Same message again. He will be great. Not only will he save his people from their sin, but he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. Means that there is no other like unto him. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And for his kingdom there will be no end. And then Luke 2 and verse 21. At the end of eight days, the circumcision. When he was circumcised, Jesus. He was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he conceived in the womb. You see, Luke is bearing a, a complete record of what took place. So there is no mistake about the name Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. 
And that's what it is. That is the reason why he was given a human name called Jesus. Not any other name. Because it was spoke, it was a, it was a type of what took place in the in the Old Testament. That is the reason why Moses historically renamed Joshua, representing what God was going to do for His people. And Jesus alone will save His people from their sin. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Only Jesus save. Only Jesus can deliver. And set you free. There is no other way. And Peter stood before the Sanhedrin council. Before the priests and the rulers and the scribes. And everyone. And and declared that there is salvation in no one else. He was not making it up. No historically. And what I just went through for you here in those two. Meaning. All that I've just went to Peter knew, the, 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 the believers knew, the, the, the disciples knew what they were talking about. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is true. There is no way, no other way that you can be saved. No other religion, no other belief system, no other isms can save you only Jesus Christ the name Jesus was not was not was not a unique name special to only Jesus no like I said it was a common name during the first and second century so to distinguish him the disciples were talking about and were making reference to Jesus as in several ways when you read your your Bible in the New Testament you're going to see Jesus of Nazareth Jesus the son of Joseph to dis- differentiate him from every other. That is the reason why when you read the Old Test- the New Testament and the, apost- the, the epistles and the letters that Paul and Peter and every one of them wrote, they were specific to who they were writing about. They were not making up a Jesus. He was not a figment, like I said the other day, of our imagination. This is the historical Jesus that we are talking about. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the son of Joseph. Jesus the Nazarene. And then Paul after he wrote his letter he's going to say Jesus Christ. Or Christ Jesus in most of Paul's letter. Not only do we have the, 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 the apostles and in the New Testament. Early believers knew what they were talking about, of which Jesus they were talking about. There was no mistake. We have historical, uh, we had non-biblical sources who wrote about Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's son, Jesus of, of, of Jesus the Nazarene. We have evidence from Josephus, early, histor- early historian, who wrote in, 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 in those days, second century, third century. And then we have Tacitus and many others who wrote about the name, this Jesus that I'm talking about. And like I said a couple weeks ago, there is no lack of historical data for this historical Jesus that we talk about. So when we look at the name, we have looked at the meaning of the name Jesus tonight, both historically and etymologically. Historically, we went back to the Old Testament and look at the Hebrew use of the name in relation to Joshua. Both Jesus and Joshua means a salvation. And then, in my final point, we see the name Jesus 
that was explicitly given to Mary and Joseph. And we have evidence of that throughout. And when the name of Jesus is understood, brothers and sisters, when the name of Jesus is understood based on these two settings, we as believers will be able to, like I, if I may say this, will understand why the apostles and the early believers of Jesus, including Jews and Gentiles alike, all understood the meaning of the name. There was no mistake concerning the name Jesus. They knew exactly which Jesus they were writing and talking about. And that's the same Jesus you and I serve today. The risen Christ, the risen Lord. That is why Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Peter says, the one whom you crucified. Not only do you crucify, but God raised from the dead. God brought him back to life. He is not dead, but he is alive. So in closing, I trust and pray that this message has been an encouragement to you and your family for all those who are watching. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will open your understanding to the truth of God's word. You see, when you read and pray and proclaim the name of Jesus, we must do it with a passion to see lost souls come to faith in Jesus Christ, like Peter. They were not afraid to speak the name of Jesus. And you, brothers and sisters, are every one of you who have given your life to Christ are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the name of Jesus with boldness. There is going to come a day when you are going to have to stand for this name. Because only in this name there is salvation. Only Jesus is the way. Only Jesus is the truth. And only Jesus is the life. Salvation can be found in no other brothers and sisters. There are only two roads. There are only two roads like the Bible talks about. One which leads to death and destruction. Which is, the, which is this wide road that everyone will follow. And walk. And many will go there. But that road will lead to death and destruction. And many people will choose the, the wide road because it's easy. But the narrow road which the Bible talks about, there is a narrow road which, which leads to life and which leads to eternal life and rest in God. And only few will walk there, brothers and sisters. And where are you? Where are you today? Which road are you Willing to travel on or where are you on your journey right now? You cannot be on both roads. You either choose to be on one. It's either you decide that you're going to be on the narrow road and you're going to continue to walk there. That road will lead to eternal rest and eternal life and life in Christ. There is no death at the end of that road. Or are you going to choose death and destruction and believe that everything here in life is the here and the now? Like some people say, enjoy and, and, and be merry now. And when death comes, death comes. Is that the way you live your life? Is that the way you live your life that you choose the right road and you don't care what the end looks like? Because you can enjoy life now? Or you rather choose Christ and choose a life that, that, is, that is going to walk a narrow path. But you know it's safe. And it's secure because Jesus promises it. So which road are you on right now? 
And where are you where are you heading for? I need you to ask yourself over this next week if you have never given your life to Christ. If you don't know which road you are on, you will have to decide. You will have to choose. And the Spirit of God, I pray, will convict your heart today as you hear this message. Because at the end of that road, if it's not the narrow road, at the end of that road that you're going, it's going to be death and destruction. There may be fun and there may be partying and there may be joy and there may be many things. And it seems like you have all of life set for you. But, it, but, but the Bible says that at the end of that life, at the end of that road, not only it's destruction, it's eternal damnation. You will face the wrath of God. Or you will rather surrender your life to Christ. And enjoy life with him. And be like Peter and James. No matter what it is. Next week we're going to continue. Where they, where they were told not to speak. And we're going to look at what happened after that. And I trust that this message has been a blessing to your heart. And I pray that if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ. That you will do so. Even if, even if you are in your bed. And wherever you are. That you will get on your knees. And ask the Lord to come into your life. Let us pray. Father I pray tonight Lord. And we thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you Lord. That that in the name of Jesus. Is powerful. That the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord and I know that many are listening today. Many are listening to your word today, Father, from the sound of my voice. God, through the power of your spirit, I pray that you will continue to speak to their heart. And for those who have not put their trust in you, God, to walk the narrow road, Lord, to come into eternal rest and come into eternal life. All that which you promise and all that you have in store for us. I pray, God, that you will bring them to such a place that they can surrender their life. God, as they travel this wide road that leads to death and destruction, that the Spirit of God will take hold of their life and open up their eyes and open up their heart, God, to surrender their life so that they can walk with you, Father. The Apostle Paul says that, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. And I pray, God, that the power of your Holy Spirit will captivate and take hold and bring those that don't know you to faith in Jesus Christ and to those God that are already walking the narrow way for those that are living out this Christian life like the apostles and the and the early believers God and the many over the centuries I pray for those that are walking faith oh God with you that you will strengthen them God that you will empower them God that there is going to come a time when they're going to be tried and when they're going to be persecuted God even right now for those that are being persecuted whether it's by friends or families or neighbors or wherever they are God I pray that you will strengthen them in the inner man you will empower them God like Peter and James and John and all the apostles God to stand firm in faith and present and speak the name of Jesus Christ without compromise God give them strength and give them wisdom I pray for those that are weak that you will strengthen them. I pray, God, that you will uphold them with your right hand of righteousness. I pray, God, that you will lead them, God, to continue to proclaim the name that is above every other name. 
and the name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let them stand, as the Apostle Paul says, and having done all to stand, let them stand with their feet, guard about with truth and this and, 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 and with the shield of faith and the blessed plate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, cause them to take up the sword, the, the, the armor of God, that they may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. And having done all to stand, Father, let them stand, Father, firm and strong, without compromising the truth. I give you praise and give you thanks and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.